Episode 13, Questions for Lars, Q4L, Season 1. You're listening to the very best podcast in the world on health, wealth, and happiness. Please remember to leave a review and share with all your friends and family. And here is your host, Lars Hilson. Good morning, good evening, good night, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dear listeners, dear friends, dear relatives, dear L's and G's and B's and T's and Q's and I's and dots and dashes. I ain't mentioned that one a long time. Uh, it's hump day. <laughs> and um, as I threatened you earlier, this is the season one of questions for Lars, short Q4L, uh, because I have been getting inquiries. <laughs> and seriously, though, there have been some questions that came in, some had to do with, well, they were private, so I answered them in private. Others I thought would uh, deliver a certain amount of clarification in what I did, what the podcast is about. Uh, what the concept of the show is, and so on and so forth. So without further ado, uh, I will start with the questions. And the first question comes from Mariska in Barcelona, who asks, Lars, you have experienced a lot of interesting people in your life. Who do you idolize most? And how did they help you grow? And, colon, perhaps you will be more picturesque in the telling of your adventures. Dear Mariska, uh, thanks for the kudos. Uh, and yes, I shall attempt to be more picturesque. I kind of love that word. And uh, how's Barcelona doing? First of all, a hi to Barcelona. Now, to get to your questions, uh, you know, who do I idolize most and how did they help me grow? First of all, I ceased to idolize anyone in my life. And here's the reason. The moment you start idolizing someone or trying to live their life rather than your own, number one, you're putting them on a pedestal and yourself below them, right? You're looking up to someone. And there's nothing wrong about getting a hold of, you know, some of their uh, character traits and mimicking them and growing by that. Now, that part of your question uh, is quite easily answered. Uh, there were so many people that helped me grow that it would probably blow this show way out of proportion uh, if I were to mention everyone that helped me grow. Because it's not that I looked up to one particular person or anything. It was just the large sum of individual experiences with 
probably a few hundred people that I got rather closely involved with during my uh, high flying times that, and you know, everybody had someone had something to offer some, something to bring to the table. Now, these could be positive experiences that ended in positive influences on myself, but it could be negative experiences. You know how I mentioned these two freaks that I worked with uh, in the dominance episode, right? Those are people who by their negative influence taught me probably a lot more than your average Joe that you meet and, and work with, right? So that being said, uh, I hope that answers your question, even though the answer was quite brief, to be perfectly blunt. But I think that uh, it pretty much, in a nutshell, answers what you were asking. If not, email me again, and I will get into, into more detail. Question two comes from Azim. And it says, Dear Mr. Lars, congratulations to your podcast. I was excited to find your podcast. My name is Azim, and I was the butler of one of your clients a few years ago. My question is, how do I become wealthy to become more interesting? That's a bit of a jiffy. I have to tell you the story about Azim. Azim was, in fact, the butler of a client that I worked for. And this was a more or less unpleasant experience in that uh, it was a wealthy family and their kid was subject to a kidnapping attempt. Now, I had been put in touch with the father of that kid uh, through a lawyer that we both mutu were mutually acquainted with uh, due to the fact that I was very open in uh, being interested in the human mind. And I had told the lawyer at a lunch that we had uh, that I was experimenting with lucid dreaming to uh, eradicate traumatic experiences from the human mind. And uh, obviously this got relayed to the client and uh, the rest is history. Uh, now, Azim was actually a butler uh, for this father of the kid who was subject to a kidnapping attempt. <laughs> and Azim was really a really, really, really diligent person. Um, very, uh, I don't know, in touch with uh, himself, the environment, very observant, and just a very, very interesting uh, person to be around. Very humble, um, very dutiful, uh, just an interesting person. You know, it's like you have people that are very interesting. And Azim, thank you so much. Uh, I don't know what you've been doing, man. This has been so many years. Uh, and, uh, I'm so glad that you somehow found the podcast and, uh, actually found the time to reach out and answer questions. 
Now, the question Azim asked is, um, how do I become wealthy to become more interesting? And I think we have to differentiate here because wealth and interesting, it, it may even be a contradiction in terms, simply because I've met so many people who were wealthy that were anything but interesting. They were lame, they were paranoid, they were, I don't know, just boring. And then there were, I wouldn't, well, not, not poor people because, you know, everybody's rich in a sense, right? Uh, but uh, poor people in a, in a monetary sense, uh, for instance, uh, just, uh, really in my youth, uh, uh, we spent a lot of time at a local river where there was this weird dude who was living on a sailboat um, and <laughs> didn't have a mast and it didn't have uh, a sail on it. Well, he had that stored somewhere, but the boat was just uh, in some marina where he paid a little bit of rent and just by, you know, just doing handyman work, really, he was a mason. Um, and this dude was, despite the fact that he was, I don't know, and he was quite frank about it, so I'm going to be as well. This dude was ugly like a motherfucker. I mean, you know, crooked teeth, shitty hair, uh, really, I don't know, usually drunk. <laughs> uh, but the, that, that guy had read so many books and had seen so much of the world, which he was capable of telling now you would sit down with this guy uh, around a campfire or the the um, wooden the the wood stove that he had on his boat, and you would sit there and talk and boom it was like eight nine ten hours were gone five bottles of wine were emptied, and everybody was laughing their asses off because the stories that he was telling were just so um, funny and and uh, however they were not only funny but they were also quite deep so he managed to kind of put together the two and it was just really an interesting person but uh, he was just doing handyman jobs he was an artist at his profession I mean this guy could could lay bricks wow you know like nobody probably today can um, however that is nothing that is um, really there's no real request for it. But anyhow, long story short, um, wealth doesn't make you more interesting, Azim. Uh, I told our audience that you are an interesting person uh, by yourself. Uh, and what I did notice was that uh, upon your question and thinking about how to answer it, was that uh, I did spend an inadequate amount of time on the wealth pillar uh, of the podcast. So thanks for making me aware of that. However, uh, for fairness, do please stay tuned. There will be more um, answers and more details about the wealth aspect. I shall focus more on it. Um, sorry that I haven't. Um, but let's dig into your question just a little bit. Now, you become wealthy by working your ass off, usually, or you find a niche that can and has to be uh, a void in the market that has to be filled very quickly, or you 
create a desire for a product that you have, which and the desire kind of uh, is woken in everyone and everybody needs your product and you sell millions and billions of them and you become wealthy that way. And that's the part of monetary wealth, right? Uh, yesterday, in yesterday's episode, I mentioned that health is another aspect of health, uh, of wealth, sorry. Uh, because, you know, you want to you wanna, um, kind of have as much time as possible with the fruit that you, that is your, your wealth that you accumulated. Now, in the job you're doing, uh, it is just, you know, how good are you? How professional are you? I can imagine, I don't know if you're still with the same employer. Uh, if not, um, you know, you are very professional and probably in that field, one of the most professional people I've ever worked with, to be perfectly blunt. And I could imagine that you could be making a lot more money just by becoming even more professional, looking for an employer that really uh, values your services. And uh, due to the fact that, you know, you work obscene hours, so you obviously have not a lot of time to spend that money. So it's about saving and investing it rather than spending it. and then thereby create a residual income, for instance, through uh, uh, through property, uh, which might be an interesting aspect to go in your situation in life. Uh, you don't say, but I'm, uh, I don't even know if you're still in that field of business, but um, yeah, that will be my two cents on that. Hope that was helpful. If not, write me another email and uh we'll stay in touch that way it was great that you reached out third question comes from samira in dubai well we do have a global audience <laughs> dear lars i find your podcast very motivating yet as a successful businesswoman i often feel lonely i don't have a partner to share my success with because i'm too busy I feel awkward because it's unusual for a woman to be without someone. How have you managed to find your better half? Uh, if it weren't for the last part of the question, I would have taken this for a cheesy pickup line. Uh, but um, I found my better half uh, in a professional setting. It was one of the last projects uh, that I did working. and. Uh, we just went out for lunch and the spark just sparked. And since then, the rest is history. Uh, and uh, not written into any history books because we all wouldn't want that. <laughs> Sorry. If you hear some, some, uh, some um, clapping around, I'm trying to kill a mosquito that's flying around me right now. Uh, to answer your question, um, what is stronger, Samira? Is it your urge to uh, fill the void in your life uh, with someone to share your success with? Uh, is this really a void that you actually feel or because you explicitly mention it 
uh, that it's unusual for a woman to be without someone. No, it's not. Uh, you know, if you're, um, it's a relationship can only live on so much compromise. And if you're uh, not a person willing to make a lot of compromises, then by all means, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, I'm quite certain that in Dubai, uh, the times I've stayed there, it's quite normal to have personnel around to, uh, take care of you. And, um, there's plenty of stuff to do in Dubai. There's plenty of the world to see. And most importantly, I wouldn't push it. Uh, I wouldn't push searching for a partner never, uh, because then you go into all of these ugly compromises and the relationship is just, I don't know. It's not really a relationship. It's just a construct of compromises rather than an actual being together and growing together and, uh, actually, yeah, changing the world together. I think that's what it, what it boils down to. And, uh, if there, if there is no changing the world together, then by God, you know, or whomever you believe in change the world by yourself, there's enough to do, uh, make the world a better place. You don't need necessarily need anyone by your side. You know, it, it makes life better. Sure. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and compromise too much in favor of having a, uh, a relationship. Uh, boop, boop, boop. what else? Okay. Yeah. Um, another question, uh, that I'm trying to answer is, is your desire for success so strong that no one else has room in your life? I think that kind of goes, it was a note I made but I kind of went ahead and answered that, uh, for you. So, uh, yeah, I hope that I was able to answer your question. Uh, and yeah, let me know, uh, if that was the case, if not, please, as always feel free to reach out further. Bruno, Bruno writes, I'm a serial entrepreneur from Brazil and watch a lot of YouTube for educational purposes. Why is there only audio and no video of your exciting stories? Uh, well, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, an interesting question, Bruno. This is just myself getting in my own way. And here's the reason I, in this current life that I lead, I'm busy with a lot of uh, shitty stuff. Um, we have quite a big household and we have deliberately stayed away from hiring personnel to take care of us. So since I'm at home all day and my better half is out working her ass off, uh, a lot of the stuff that has to be done around the house is left with me. This goes for in the house. This goes for the uh, property that we have. Uh, this goes for um, pretty much everything that has to be done here. Now, I was like you watching shitloads of YouTube videos. And I always was uh, spending a lot of time in front of the screen. Then came the advent of the iPad. So you could conveniently set your iPad wherever you were and uh, kind of entertain you as well. But what I noticed was when podcasts started to have their revival was that 
you are always distracted by the visual aspect that you have to a video that you're watching. And most of the people that do podcasts actually also have a video of the interview that they do. I'm thinking of uh, Joe Rogan or Lex Fridman. Uh, those people, those are some of the people that I follow. Um, but once you've seen one video, yeah, you see the face of the person, you see the expressions, but you are bound to the screen for sometimes hours on end. I think uh, Rogan made his first uh, Spotify interview upwards of five hours. And that's insane. That I, I don't have that time. I, and actually, I never really did. Uh, and so for me, it was the audio only aspect because this allows me to do all of the shitty stuff that I have to do uh, while, I don't know, killing two birds with one stone. Is that a correct expression? In that uh, I can do the shitty tasks like, I don't know, uh, vacuum cleaning and I don't know, cooking. Well, actually, I enjoy cooking. It's not a shitty task, but mowing the lawn and doing other stuff. And I'm not wasting that time entirely uh, in that I'm actually learning by really listening to the podcast. So I'm still aware of my surroundings. I can drive the tractor to mow the lawn. I can operate the vacuum cleaner throughout the house. And yeah, it allows me much more liberty than it would to be, I don't know, trying to set up a screen and watch YouTube videos. Now, most of the good YouTube producers also have a podcast running of their show. Uh, to name it the other way around. And that just gives you ample opportunity to kind of move away from YouTube uh, because it just, uh, yeah, like I said, frees up so much time. Plus, another benefit is you don't get the shitty commercials on, on YouTube. Uh, so uh, most podcasters have sponsors in the beginning and the end of the episode or sometimes in the middle. Yeah, that's okay. You know, rather than having to wait for the video, you can actually skip the sponsor frame segment in the beginning and the end of the podcast, obviously. So thanks for the kudos on the exciting stories or uh, well, I'd rather call them adventures. Uh, and um, hope I was able to answer your question. Last but not least, writes Duncan, my, well, if I could only do this British accent uh, that David does so well in the beginning of the show, uh, my tube was just pulling into Victoria Station in London uh, when I heard you speaking about your past lives. What do you mean by that? I'm curious because you have mentioned that repeatedly now. Duncan, I am going to take a cigarette break to uh, think about your question and be right back for you. Man, that was good. <laughs> Duncan, uh, thanks for your question. Um, somehow fond memories of Victoria, stations come, Victoria Station uh, come up. That being said, uh, my past lives. 
and there were quite a few. So let me go into a little bit of detail. Uh, it's pretty much public record that I was born and raised in a small village in Germany. Uh, and on my 10th birthday, uh, we, my, my dad was a soldier for the German army. And on my 10th birthday, we were stationed to the United States where I spent four years of my life. Uh, obviously, um, you know, with a lot of influence from the Bible Belt, uh, which resulted in a religious quest that would last until, I don't know, probably till today. Uh, there was a funny ex-course that I just want to mention uh, because I couldn't get real first-hand access to uh, what the religion of Islam was really about, and I had inquiries. So uh, when I worked in the Maldives, I was waiting for my boat one day and uh, went into the mosque and just asked for the imam, took him out for a tea, uh, and I think we sat down for three hours and kind of spoke about everything, really. Uh, in 1992, I think it was, I got my first computer. That's where I got hooked uh, and on the digital issue, really, because back then there weren't a lot of programs available. So I sat down and wanted to create a database about uh, fighter planes because I wanted to be a fighter pilot back then. Top Gun was one of my favorite movies and so on and so forth. So my dad said, well, you want to create, well, you've got to create a database. <laughs> and I was like, well, how do I do that? So this was pre-internet, you know, go to the library, pick up books, order books because they weren't there and you know, that kind of bit. But that's where my passion for uh, the entire digital world really started. Uh, then in 93, uh, we were re-stationed, reposted, I don't know, whatever it's called in the military. Uh, and I had, of course, seen significant parts of the world uh, in that, you know, which the United States just is, was exposed to a totally different culture uh, for an extended period of time. So while all of my friends had, you know, maybe had a vacation in Italy or something, right? <clears throat> so I was kind of cut off from the rest of the bunch. You know, my friends were still there. They were still my friends, but they developed in a totally different way. And I don't mean this condescending because I was just fucking lucky to be in a situation like that, uh, to learn English, you know, not, not in a school sense, but in an actual sense. Uh, and however, the friendships kind of lived through that. And uh, with together with the my sandbox buddies, I joined our local uh, fire department, number one, because the booze was cheap. You know, we were uh, 17 and we were allowed to join and we all joined because it was uh, free beer. <laughs> and uh, however, that came with another aspect of, uh, you know, getting introduced to uh, hands-on physics on how fires work, how firefighting works, how, uh, you know, a lot of other stuff really works, which, you know, been limited to in theoretical, uh, theoretical physics classes, which just bored me to fucking death. So, uh, then, um, 
1999, I think it was, I started my vocational training in the financial sector, which would probably in the English world be adequate, uh, equivalent to college degree. Until that time, I had a roller coaster ride of a school career, if you will, because when we came back from the States, it was like drugs and alcohol and, and women were so much more important than paying attention in school. Uh, plus, I was very gifted in that I was always able to solve the problems that I was confronted with, but in a way that didn't necessarily go in line with the ways that the schools wanted to have the problems solved. So that was a bit of a contributing factor to my school roller coaster career, which you know ended me up in uh, in that uh, insurance bit, and I then joined a very large insurance and financial company, worked for them for a few years, and did start to notice that I really suck at corporate politics. I just wasn't, you know, didn't have the time to play the corporate politics games. So things happened and I said, okay, um, fuck the system, I'm gonna go back to my roots, which was the digital world. I felt much more comfortable there and really saw a disastrous but very financially interesting sector in the internet and the internet that i saw was had so many points of improvement that i spent probably north of 16 hours 17 hours a day just working you know trying to find ways to improve the web and the one thing i didn't think about that was probably one of the most stupid decisions in my life was that uh you need clients, you know, nobody really told me about that. It was easy picking up clients for insurance and finance products uh, because you had them there and they need them. But the stuff that I was developing, people didn't know that they needed it, but they needed it badly. So it was, uh, <clears throat> it was very interesting and very interesting time. One uh, that I wouldn't want anyone else to have. And that's what I warn entrepreneurs about always is, you know, you, You've got to find clients, and you have to have a product that is uh, that that which there is a demand for right now, and not in five years. That was kind of like the problem that I had to deal with. And then in two thousand eight, I was invited to a software conference in the Netherlands to give a speech about search engine optimization, which uh, I'd become very good at, insanely good at, actually at the time, and. And it was actually one case where I had a client, he ran a little business and uh, I'd, I'd built his website and optimized it to a degree where uh, he called me up four months after it went online and said, can you please make it stop? I can't serve all of these clients that are coming my way. So those are really interesting times, but you know, not only on a local uh, marketing, SEO marketing level, but also on a, on a global scale, I was quite influential. However, um, in 2008, I came across this dude uh, from the Belgian police. I think he was. He was at this conference in the Netherlands as well. And after I'd given my presentation, he walked up to me and said, you know, you're so good at explaining shit. Uh, go into consulting because you're, uh, you're self-coding. Uh, meanwhile, I had outsourced a lot of the actual work uh, because I couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, he said, you know, sell your business and do the do the consulting bit. You know so much and there are so many recipients for your knowledge. Uh, go, you know, and then I kind of contemplated on that. And 
actually did go into freelance consulting after that, but I kept the company for another few years uh, on the side just to fulfill the projects with you know, all of the bullshit that I thought up when consulting. Uh, somebody had to do it, and you know, there was I, and I just coincidentally had a company that could deliver all of the stuff that I came up with, which resulted in, I don't know, for my clients. Overall, I made a rough calculation that it was north of a billion dollars increased revenue that I was responsible for. Uh, you know, without wanting to pat myself too much on my own shoulder, but that's for a freelancer quite a staggering number, at least for me. I don't know how it is with you guys. Um, and then came... 2009, when I, uh, when somebody said, "Hey, you know, do you even know that you've just influenced the lives and the user experience of a billion people?" When I published an article, which uh, was, I don't know, something along the line of HTML5 had come out, and uh, with the style sheets you could make so that the menu uh, that you have was floating on top of the content that you were scrolling through, which was becoming ever more important. Simply because uh, the web pages were getting longer, the blogs were, you know, kind of having their their time, and so you would, and when you wanted to go back to the main menu to navigate through the rest of the website, you would have to scroll your thumb or your middle finger off or whichever finger you scroll with, and that just th this uh, menu that I had created for my website had very quickly after that found adaptation in pretty much all of the major social networks like uh, uh, Facebook, uh, MySpace back in the day, I think implemented it. Uh, then came LinkedIn and all of these other major outfits. And so, uh, yeah, that was an interesting thing that I learned by someone who found that all of these uh, outfits had implemented the stuff that I'd published. And uh, yeah, I never really saw a penny for it, but uh, whatever. I was uh, at a stage where one year later, um, I was still in the consulting business and I had too much business. And uh, that was really uh, an interesting thing to experience coming from a situation where, you know, you didn't have food in the fridge because shit, you need clients to pay you. You know, that was kind of like one of the things that I wish I would have avoided. Since then, I was back to where I came from, and this doesn't belong in the public sphere, but things happened which just legally had to be settled and where time had to take its toll. And so in 2011, I went back into the cybersecurity field, which it was then called, uh, where I did some revolutionary stuff. And in 2015, you know, a lot of stuff happened between those years, a lot of work and a lot of bombshells kind of started to hit. And I said uh, in 2015, okay, I'm out of the business world. So I sold everything, retired. Uh, I'm at a stage where uh, I don't need to work anymore. Uh, I do the projects that I find interesting. I do them. Uh, if the project doesn't isn't appealing to me, I'll uh, kindly send a client on their way to find somebody else to take care of it. And after retirement or with the last project, I kind of found my better half and we then moved into, uh, uh, well, we have this big farm, like I said, in the center of Germany. And 
we have a lot of room, so we created the Airbnb, which I already mentioned. And ever since I've been running that, I've been taking care of the house, uh, doing projects that I find funny, like this podcast. Uh, now we're in 2020, and in a nutshell, those were the lives that I was talking about. Now, we have to clarify that for each and every one of them. Uh, you have to develop a degree of passion because otherwise it just won't work, right? If you go into something half-heartedly, it, it just fucking sucks. You're, you don't have fun doing it. And then it becomes a burden more than a challenge. And that was the case even with the Airbnb business when, uh, you know, we hadn't hired personnel yet to do the cleaning and so on and so forth. Uh, it was just beginning to become more of a burden than actually a fun thing to do. And the same goes for cooking, for instance, which I find insanely meditative. We hardly go out to restaurants because I found that, you know, with a little bit of effort, you can cook much better than the food you would get at any restaurant. And you know where uh, the produce comes from because you grow it in your garden and at least parts of it. And you're much more careful and mindful when you're out shopping the produce, which you actually turn into a yummy meal and the time before and celebrating the meal and even the shitty bits of cleaning the pots, you know, as I mentioned in the, uh, in the earlier question, uh, was like, you know, you can listen to interesting podcasts while doing so, because otherwise you'll be, you know, just downtime. This actually combines the shitty job with something fun, which is learning and learning and understanding is always Fun. Duncan, I hope that I was able to answer your question. Uh, one short question. Uh, last but not least, I think I thought Duncan was the last, but I hadn't scrolled down enough, uh, is uh, Skyler, who writes, I don't know where Skyler is from, can't even determine. And uh, Skylar says uh, that she was very positively influenced by the third episode of the podcast because she was around a very uh, domineering boss who was an idiot, and she just found the information and the way I told my experience is so helpful that she asked whether there is a way to donate to the show. Yes, there is. I'm not going to make a big fuss about it. If you want to donate, write me an email, ask me for the Bitcoin address or alternatives, and I'll send that to you. Now, those were the questions that I kind of selected. Uh, I didn't want to go above 30 minutes. I fucked that up. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Uh, it's. I hope that the answers shed a little bit of light into everybody's uh, everybody's questions. In tomorrow's episode, we'll be talking about envy porn, uh, which I found a very interesting topic to kind of uh, do in between hump day and the weekend. Uh, I hope to see you there. Hope this was interesting. If you have questions and comments, as always, please email the very best podcast in the world at gmail.com. And 
if enough questions come together again, I will do a season two of the Q4L format. Until tomorrow, I wish you a good night, a successful day, and a good morning, <laughs> wherever in the world you are. Stay tuned. See you tomorrow. Peace out.